Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good to see you. Excited, I'm sure. I sang an ambassador choir, and we never sounded like that, I can assure you. Uh, what a joy to be with you today. And President Smith, Chancellor Jones, Provost Lanford, Board of Trustees, faculty, staff, proud parents, family, alumni, clergy, students, people who just weirdly show up at random graduations, <laughs> and happy, relieved graduates. Uh, along with my wife, Darlene, we want to thank you for the extraordinary honor, the privilege of being with you today. Speaking to you today is truly one of the greatest honors of my life. If you knew the student that I was while attending here from 1979 to 83, you would cry tears of laughter at the irony of this situation right now. Never let anyone tell you God doesn't have a sense of humor. I was the student who lived four years on again, off again, academic probation, all four years. I accrued so many demerits and work penalties that I spent an entire week after school in May doing such tasks as sweeping a road with a push broom. I scrubbed the oil change pit that used to be behind East Dorm. I don't know if it's still there or not. I scrubbed that out with a toothbrush. I flipped every mattress on campus and I vacuumed every square inch of uh, carpet on this campus along with a number of other highly motivating tasks. So no one was more surprised than I when Dr. Smith called me on February the 3rd and asked me uh, to be here with you today. I, I'd like to personally thank him for the months of fear, anxiety, and nausea <laughs> that I have endured. God does have an ironic sense of humor, but I made it. And you have two graduates, and so congratulations. Let's congratulate our graduates. Wow, so proud of you. All right. And graduates, how about uh, clapping and applauding for the people who helped get you here today, right? They did it, yeah. I want you graduates to know that I have taken my assignment today very seriously. I have prepared for my time with you today with the same intensity and alacrity many of you have devoted to a crucial 20-page paper. And so late last night, I began. <laughs> but uh, in my brief time with you this morning, graduates, I'd like to share with you a true story. It's a powerful story. The true stories always are. And it's a story that I have found that has a principle in it that in 39 years uh, of ministry, it was 39 years ago, right about now, I walked across this stage, and I haven't been on this stage since June of 1983, but I have found that principle to be very applicable and extremely true to my life. It's a story that takes place in the autumn of 1861. The United States had just been shocked by the events that previous April at Fort Sumter here in South Carolina. And our story takes place in Richmond, Virginia. 
Mr. Paul Morphy was invited to a dinner party at the home of a prominent attorney in Richmond, a man by the name of R.R. Harrison. And along with uh, uh, Mr. Morphy, there were uh, a number of Richmond's prominent citizens. Mr. Morphy was 24 years old and a native of New Orleans, and he was acknowledged to be one of the greatest chess players in the world. He had battled and beaten the finest European chess players in 1858 and 59, and he earned the title of Grand Master. Over a century later, the great Bobby Fischer included him in, a, in his personal list of the 10 greatest chess players of all time and described him as perhaps the most accurate player who ever lived. That evening, most of the dinner party guests were keen chess players in their own right. Well, following dinner, Mr. Morphy began to examine some of the artwork that Mr. and Mrs. Harrison had hanging up in their home, and he came across a painting entitled The Chess Players by a German artist with the very impressive name of Friedrich August Moritz Retsch. And like many artists of his generation, Retsch was fascinated with the story of Mephistopheles and his bet with God that Faust, Faust was this ambitious scholar who made a, a deal with the devil at the price of his soul. He made that, that deal that, and uh, the devil did that, that he could be lured away, Faust could be lured away from a righteous and honorable path. The painting portrays the devil playing chess against a young man and it is obvious that the young man is in trouble. And they are playing for this young man's soul. The, the devil has a number, as you look at it, the devil has a number, a great number of the young man's pieces already. The pieces of the young man's side represent virtue. The pieces of the devil's side of the board represent vice. They're playing on an above ground tomb and there's a very pensive looking guardian angel worriedly watching the match. It's evident that the devil has a young man right where he wants him. And all that's left to say is the word checkmate. Well, Paul Morphy studied the painting very closely and then modestly said to his host, I think I can take that young man's game and win. And Mr. Harrison chuckled, said, not even you, Mr. Morphy, can retrieve that game. The grandmaster said, yet I think I can. The king has one more move. Suppose we set the pieces and try. So a chessboard was hastily arranged. They studied the painting very closely and they set the chessboard up exactly how it was set up in the painting. The dinner company gathered around anxious to see the chess grandmaster make his moves on behalf of the young man in the painting. Mr. Harrison assumed the devil's side of the board and to the surprise of everyone, victory was snatched from the devil and the young man was saved. And for those of you with degrees in theology, by the way, this is not theologically correct, okay? We understand that. <laughs> people being people, a few of the chess-savvy dinner guests felt Mr. Harrison blundered somewhere, so their chessboard was reset, and one of the other people would play Mr. Morphy, and he would win, and it was reset again. And this went on about five or six times, and Mr. Morphy beat them one and all. The king, you see, had one more move. A young man named David was up against a giant named Goliath. David was in trouble. He tried to put on King Saul's armor, but Saul was a 54 long and David was a 36 short. <laughs> he couldn't even handle a grown-up sword, and it looked like checkmate, 
But the king had one more move. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he refused to stop praying to God. And as the old song tells us, he cared not for the king's decree, but trusted God to set him free. They locked him in the lion's den because he would not honor men. The jaws were locked and made him shout, and God brought Daniel safely out. How? Because the king had one more move. Moses convinced a nation of oppressed slaves to run away from the most powerful man on earth and Pharaoh set out after them and they were standing on the shore with the Red Sea in front of them and the greatest army in the world behind them and the people said to Moses, what were you thinking? And Moses said to God, what were you thinking? And God said, the king has one more move. Now I don't know what challenges you will face tomorrow or where you will go from here today, but I can assure you that there will be stresses and challenges and difficult days in your new place of ministry or in your new place of work. May you never forget that your king has one more move. Maybe there's a son or daughter, someone you love who is struggling and estranged from you. The king has one more move. Maybe your marriage has been strained, graduates, through this. this. What you've just accomplished is incredible, and it's a straining, difficult time, and you've had troubled days, and maybe your marriage is strained, or you're, you're, you're desperate for some kind of intervention. The king has one more move. Maybe you've been dealing with financial pressures. Anybody here understand financial pressures? <laughs> Perhaps you're dealing with a pretty significant vocational decision. The king has one more move. Maybe you or someone you know is facing medical issues, weighing heavily on your life right now. The king has one more move. Maybe you've done the wrong thing, said something that caused offense, made a mistake that feels so big, you don't know that it can ever be redeemed. The king has one more move. On Good Friday, they tried Jesus and accused him and judged him. They whipped him, they beat him. They mocked him, they scorned him. They hung him on a cross to die and laid him low in a tomb to rot the way every human body has deteriorated ever since death entered this world of ours. And suddenly the devil and the Romans and the religious leaders were all shouting, that's all folks, show's over, you can go home, checkmate. But they were wrong because the king had one more move. Graduates, this day is one of those chess pieces on your board of life. Today is so significant for you. And today is one of the brighter days. It's a day of joy and uh, well-deserved congratulations. However, there will be other days and nights, especially nights, when your world will seem dark and hopeless only punctuated by minor bright intervals here and there. And it will seem that you are left with no alternative but to succumb to the word checkmate. There is one, however, looking down from above who sees the chessboard of your life and how the pieces have laid out, and he says to you, the king has one more move. It was said of the great racehorse, man of war, some horses let him at the first turn, some let him at the back stretch, a few let him at the far turn, but no horse ever led him in the home stretch. 
Some of us run nobly at the start of the race and some do well halfway, but blessed is the one who makes a good finish. The Apostle Paul's batting average was good to the end of the season. I finished my course. So run well and run long. When I walked across this stage 39 years ago, I would have never imagined this moment in my life. I was just trying to find a church that would take me somewhere. And I did, but I stayed 11 months. They didn't keep me long. But I want you to know, as I look back in 39 years of ministry, one thing I've learned, the king always has one more move in your life. Please don't ever forget that. And so as as you leave here today and you go out there to know him and to make him known, as you round every corner in this race called life, as you look at life's chess pieces, may you never, ever, ever forget the king has one more move. Congratulations. May God bless you and thank you. Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ.